Christmas. Merry Christmas. Let's start this over again. <laughs> because if you are familiar with the Christmas carol, the 12 days of Christmas, right? I mean, come on. We are only on day three out of 12, right? So we got a ways to go. <laughs> so according to that Christmas carol, today, like I said, is day three. And this is the day of the three French hens. And so, for those of you who know me, I love history. I studied history for years in school. I actually worked in some historical fields before I came to the church. And being the history nerd that I am, I was compelled to look up the history of this Christmas carol because I thought, what in the world is a French hen and why are there three of them? So, of course, I looked it up. And this is actually pretty cool. The three French hens symbolize faith hope, and love. And today, we're going to be talking a little bit about hope. That was so not planned, but I thought that was pretty cool. So I actually also learned a whole lot of history about the French hens, so if you are interested, find me after the service, because I won't subject you to that now. <laughs> so we're going to jump into our message today. So if you have your app, like Pastor Phil said, you should by this point. Um, there's some sermon notes if you want to fill in um, some notes, take some notes along the way. Um, right there on the This Sunday section of the app. So today, guys, do you realize that this is the last Sunday of 2020? Can I get an amen to that? Absolutely. Oh, my word. It's kind of hard to believe we made it to the end of this crazy year. I mean, it really was the most bizarre and surreal year I think we've ever experienced. And I know for so many of us, it was so hard, like just beyond difficult. And you know, one thing that I've come to realize and observe through the course of the year was this, that on so many levels, this has been a year of waiting, waiting for what's going to happen next, waiting for test results, waiting for the next report to come out of the CDC, waiting to find out what's going to happen to our country, waiting to find out what's going to happen in our own personal lives, right? It's been a year of waiting to be with family and friends again, waiting to give hugs, waiting to see faces and smiles again, waiting to fully come back to church or go back to work, waiting to figure out what school is going to look like for our kids and for our teachers, waiting for a return to normal. It's like for a year, we just held our collective breath, just waiting, waiting for what God was going to do with this insurmountable mess of a year. And you know, at the beginning of this month in December, we entered another season of waiting, and it's called the season of Advent. Now, the word Advent means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And in the church, the season of Advent is when we wait, when we set aside this month before Christmas and we wait in anticipation for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And during each Advent season, there's a word that we often focus on, and that word is hope. So today, we're going to take a little journey with this word hope, and first of all, explore what it means to wait with hope, and then discover the one most important thing that we can do as we hold on to that hope in the waiting. 
So our first point is this. We are called not just to wait, but to wait with hope. Something's not working. Judge, turn it up. Okay, hold on. All right. Let's try this. Is that better? All right. We are called to wait with hope. And I first want to share a little image of, you know, I think perhaps how God wants us to approach these seasons in our lives when we find ourselves waiting. And this story takes place when my daughter Grace was about two years old. And Thanksgiving was over, and we had just brought out all of the Christmas decorations and bins from the attic. And we were living um, with my parents at the time um, in a small apartment in their house. My kids were so excited to share Christmas with them for that first year. And one family treasure that we have is a collection of some of the characters from the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer movie from the 1960s. So some of you might be familiar with that movie, right? It's Burl Ives, right? The singing snowman with his little banjo and Yukon Cornelius, who was totally obsessed with the abominable snowman. And of course, Hermie, right? The aspiring dentist elf. Well, to her two-year-old delight, Grace found these little stuffed toys and immediately just claimed them for her own. And on that particular day, I heard some talking coming from the living room, and so I poked my head in just to see what was going on. And it's a scene that I will never forget. So Grace had taken those little stuffed toys and lined them up side by side on the windowsill, facing outward, as you can see on the picture. And she was standing behind them, just gazing out the window and talking to them in some strange made-up language that was not meant for my ears. But what completely struck me in that moment was the tone of her voice. It was so serious. It was reverent. It was hushed. She was so full of wonder and was literally breathless with the Somehow I knew that I was witnessing a holy moment, a sacred moment through the eyes of a child. Because in that moment, they were waiting for something. They were waiting with wonder and anticipation. And they were waiting with hope. And I never forgot that scene because that's what it looks like, what it means to wait with hope. And it taught me something that day, that as an adult, I sometimes, who am I kidding, I often forget what it means to wait with hope, to look for Jesus with anticipation, especially during my seasons of waiting. With that same hushed excitement and childlike wonder for my Savior, I forget how to wait with hope. You know, we get caught up in our lives, whether it's good things or difficult things. We're busy, we get overwhelmed, we're pulled in a hundred directions, we have struggles and we have dark times. But in that transcendent moment that day, I was reminded of what Jesus said time and time again, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. We are to be like little children, wide-eyed and open-hearted, waiting for Jesus with hope. Now, 
one of the many things I love about the Bible is that it's just filled with real people, people like you and me with the same struggles and with the same joys. And the Bible also, also shares stories of people who waited with hope. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 2 tells us of two people who waited their whole lives for the coming of Jesus. And the first to encounter the newborn king in this passage was a prophet named Simeon. And this is what the Gospel account says about him. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him, and then Simeon blessed them. Simeon knew who he was holding in his arms that day, what he had waited for with hope for so long finally came to pass, and he praised God for it. Then moving on, a little while later, in the same chapter, they meet Anna, a prophet also in the temple, and she has a pretty interesting story. As Luke says, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years, and then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. What an incredible account, right? Not one, but two people waiting their whole lives with great anticipation, praying and praising God as they waited with hope. But let's do a little reality check here, right? They didn't live in a bubble, that peaceful and protected without a care in the world, right? Hope would be very easy then. But no, they were fully aware at what was going on around them. I mean, they too had their dark times and their struggles. Simeon was an old man, right, alone at the end of his life. Anna knew the grief of losing a husband at such a young age. And I'm sure they were keenly aware of the occupation by the Romans, the difficult circumstances faced by their own people, the political and social conflicts and the heavy tax burdens that they all faced. The bottom line is that they were living in really hard times and they faced their own personal, personal struggles and tragedies. And yet they didn't wait with despair. They didn't wait and wring their hands with anxiety and trepidation. No, they waited with hope. Hope for God to show up, for God to keep his promises. 
And there are so many other people in the Bible, so much like you and me, who knew what it meant to wait, often in the face of very difficult circumstances. But because of their faith, they knew how to wait with hope. Let's take a look at Abraham, right? Abraham waited for a son. God promised that he would be the father of many nations, but decades went by without a child. I mean, his hair turned gray, his fingers got gnarly, his steps started to slow, and yeah, sure, he messed up sometimes along the way, but he knew God was a God who keeps his promises, and so he waited with hope. And God did show up. God did keep his promises to Abraham. And the son that he longed for, the son that he waited for, was finally born. Let's take a look at Joseph. Joseph waited for his life to be restored. Now, God promised that he would be a powerful leader, and yet here's a guy who was living in this chronic whack-a-mole game in real time, right? Every time he popped his head up, bam, he got knocked down time and time again. You know, his brothers tried to kill him, and then they sold him off into slavery. He's falsely accused by his employer, and then he's thrown into prison. He helps a fellow prisoner escape, but then he's completely forgotten. I mean, seriously, it's really hard to read Joseph's story sometimes. It's just too much. But he knew God was a God who keeps his promises, and so he waited with hope, and God did show up. God did keep his promises to Joseph. Joseph was vindicated. He was elevated to a prominent position of power and influence. He did become the promised leader of his people, saving not only them, but the entire nation of Egypt as well from starvation and famine. And Joseph himself said in Genesis 50 verse 20, you, meaning his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's an amazing picture of what it means to wait with hope right there. So whether, you know, it's Simeon and Anna, or Abraham and Joseph, or even my own little Grace standing by the window, all waiting, we too have this hope. And when we find ourselves in a season of waiting, we know that our God is one who keeps his promises to us. And when we stand on that foundation of faith, we can wait with hope. Amen? Amen. But there's more. Because we can't talk about waiting with hope if we don't talk about this next point, which goes hand in hand. For as we wait and wait with hope, we do not stay idle in the waiting. We don't just sit there twiddling our thumbs, wondering what's going to happen next. Because here's the thing. Waiting with hope is not passive. There is something we can do. And that's our second point this morning. That we are called to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus the baby born in Bethlehem, the light of the world, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, our Savior. 
So let me tell you another story to paint a little picture of what this looks like, to do whatever it takes to get into the presence of Jesus. Again, through the eyes of a child, and again, through that breathless anticipation for Jesus. So I shared the story a little earlier of my little Grace waiting with that childlike wonder and hope. And the story continues that same day, but this time with my son, Aiden. And later on that day, as I was putting up the Christmas decorations, I heard some scuffling behind me, then a lot of grunting and groaning, and then some happy giggles, and then a little voice so full of excitement that said, come on up, Grace, look. And I turned around, and I saw that Aiden had dragged one of the big Christmas bins all the way across the living room floor over to where I had placed our nativity set, kind of high up on a cabinet and he helped his little sister climb up to stand next to him. Now, Aiden was about five years old at the time, and let me tell you, that bin was packed, and it was heavy. I mean, what can I say? Remember earlier I said I love Christmas? I have a lot of decorations, and I know how to pack those bins, and that thing weighed a ton. But Aiden worked really hard, and he pulled, and he tugged with all of his little might to get that thing across the floor. Nothing could stop his mission to get to Jesus. And I stood there silently, just realizing yet again for the second time that day that I was witnessing a holy moment as those two little kids climbed up on that bin to get a better view of baby Jesus. And then Aiden started singing in the sweetest voice I've ever heard, Away in a Manger, with Yukon Cornelius just dangling from his hand. And Grace joined in, but the fact that she didn't know any of the words did not matter. She just oohed and awed along with her big brother. And I stood there through three rounds of that carol, just tears in my eyes, soaking up that beautiful sight of two little children doing whatever it took, including dragging a heavy bin, using all of their strength and might to stand in breathtaking awe before the little Lord Jesus. And there's that childlike wonder again, that amazement. And somehow in that holy mystery, those two little kids knew where they needed to be. And they did all that they could that day to stand in the presence of Jesus, opening up their little hearts to worship him. That was all that mattered to them. They left behind the shiny ornaments and the decorations. They set aside Rudolph and Frosty and their stockings. All they wanted was Jesus. You see, this waiting that sometimes we find ourselves in, This anticipation and expectation for the one who rescues us, the one who saves us. This waiting is not something to be feared or dreaded, but rather it builds in us a hunger. It builds in us a drive, a determination to get us to where we need to be, the only place we can be, especially in our desperate times of waiting, in the presence of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Amen. So let me tell you of another group of people who didn't sit idly in their waiting. On the night of Jesus' birth, there was a group of shepherds tending their sheep 
in the fields, right? We know this familiar story. The angels appeared, a brilliant light filled the sky. Those poor shepherds were terrified as, the, as they listened to that Advent message, the arrival of the one they had been waiting with hope for so long. But the story doesn't stop there. Just like my little kids that day that left behind all the shiny decorations to get to Jesus, the shepherds immediately left their posts on the outskirts of town. They left their sheep, they left their livelihoods, and they ran as fast as they could to the stable. Luke puts it this way in chapter 2, as the shepherds said to each other, Let's get over to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. They left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Seeing was believing. So let's move on in the story, right? The wise men came next, and they traveled from far distances. And back in that day, that was no easy feat. It was treacherous. It was fraught with many forms of danger. But they set their sights forward, and nothing would stop their mission to get to King Jesus. You know, earlier I said one of the things I love about the Bible is that it's filled with people just like you and me. And, you know, the shepherds and the wise men weren't the only ones who weren't idle in their waiting. Later on, when Jesus began his ministry, we hear story after story of people doing what they needed to do to get to Jesus. So let's meet Zacchaeus, a tax collector, absolutely hated by his community and shunned by those around him. I mean, imagine living a life like that, right? Wealthy, sure, but isolated, despised, and alone, and desperate to see Jesus. So desperate that he pushed his way through the crowds to see him. He pushed his way through all of those people who hated him, ultimately climbing a tree. All he wanted to do was get a better view, just keeping his distance. And yet, he received so much more Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, for the son of man came to find and restore the lost. He met Jesus face to face, and his life was changed forever. Let's meet a sick woman who was desperate for healing. The Bible said she had been bleeding or had a bleeding condition for 12 years. I mean, talk about a long wait, my word. Now, the Bible's a little vague about her health, but that really doesn't matter because the bigger issue was that in that day, and according to Jewish law, bleeding was considered unclean. And that woman had no right to be in public, and she could have faced dire consequences. But she was desperate to see Jesus. So not only did she dare show her face in public, she pushed her way through the crowds just to come into the presence of Jesus and touch the hem of his robe, just his robe. That was it. That's all she wanted. And yet she received so much more. Luke records the story like this in chapter 8. When the woman realized that she couldn't remain hidden, she knelt trembling before him. In front of all the people, she blurted out her story, why she touched him, 
and how at that same moment she was healed. Jesus said, daughter, you took a risk trusting me, and now you're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed. She met Jesus face to face, and her life was changed forever. But let's be real. This is always a choice, right? This tenacity, this intentionality to get to Jesus, it's a choice. And we've talked about some famous Christmas characters uh, from the Bible today, but here's one we don't often think about. The innkeeper, right? The innkeeper on the night that Jesus was born. Now, he made a different choice. He didn't make room for Jesus on that first Christmas. He didn't think twice about it. He shut the door, said there was no room, and he didn't even try to make room. Now, his actions and his choices didn't prevent Jesus from being born. His actions didn't stop God's plan and purpose of redemption. I mean, God is God, and he's unstoppable. But here's what really happened. His choices just hurt himself, right? He missed the astonishing privilege of providing a place for the Son of God to be born. He missed the life-changing opportunity to meet Jesus face to face. And in the same way, right, the shepherds, they could have stayed on the hillside out of fear or confusion or not wanting people to think that they were crazy, but they didn't. They made the most important choice that night to get to Jesus. You know, Zacchaeus, he could have stayed home, right? I mean, who in their right minds wants to, you know, uh, submit themselves further to anger or abuse or ridicule? But he didn't. He made the most important choice that day to get to Jesus. No one would have criticized the sick woman for staying far away and stay at home because it could have been very scary for her to step outside that door. But she didn't. She made the most important choice that day to get to Jesus. And the same is true for you and me. If we don't take the time to do all that we can to get to Jesus, especially when we are in those seasons of being desperate and waiting, we miss the opportunity to be with him. We miss the opportunity to have the peace and purpose that only comes through the Son of God. We miss his powerful presence in our lives if we don't make room for him. And in this new year, I know I, for one, want to be and I need to be more like those running shepherds than the indifferent innkeeper. We all need the hope that only comes from Jesus. Amen? Amen. You know, like I said, the Bible is so full of amazing stories of hope, just like the ones we've highlighted today. And maybe today you needed to hear one of those stories. I know I did as I was putting this together. And maybe this difficult year has left you in a tough place. Whether you feel isolated or sick, whether you feel rejected or you're alone, whether you find yourselves hurting or confused, or whether you're in that season of waiting that just doesn't seem to want to end, these are the tenacious people who had been waiting just like you and me, and they did whatever it took to get to Jesus because they knew it was where they needed to be. 
So do you see what's happening here? Do you see this amazing connection that this is who God wants us to be as well, tenacious people who are desperate for Jesus? And this is our call today. Just run. After this long year of waiting, do whatever it takes now to get to Jesus, the only source of our hope. Because when we wait with hope, when we focus only on Jesus, and when we come into his presence, we receive so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. Amen. So here we are at the close of another year. And honestly, I think it's a year that we all just want to see come to an end. And some of you listening right now, whether here in the auditorium or on our live stream, maybe you feel like you've been walking in darkness for a long time and you have been desperately waiting for the bright light of Christ to shine in your life. Some of you right now have been desperately waiting for God to split the sea before you so you can walk through on dry ground into the new year. Some of you right now maybe have been desperately waiting for your way maker, your promise keeper, that you need God to make that way for you, whatever it might look like, to flatten those mountains and raise up those valleys, to make the crooked paths straight again so you can walk through into the promises that he has for your life. So my friends, hear this. As we close out this crazy year together and we stand on the threshold of the new year, we do not do so with despair, but we do so with hope. We close out this year not with abject discouragement, but with breathless anticipation. We close out this year not imprisoned by pain, but with great promise of freedom. We close out this year not with cynicism, but with childlike wonder. Why? Because we know who was born this Christmas. We know the only source of our hope. So whatever you have been waiting for this year, whether it's breakthrough or test results or freedom, healing, provision, answers, direction, normalcy, whatever it is, we don't wait in vain. We wait with hope. And in the waiting, we run to Jesus. We stand with Jesus, the only source of our hope, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world. This is the truth that we take with us into the new year. This is the hope that we hold on to as we step over the threshold. And as we do so, my prayer for you is this. Our final verse of the day. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we close out this year together as a family, as sons and daughters, we worship you. 
we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to us. We thank you for holding us through this difficult year, for being so faithful, for providing for us, for keeping your promises. God, you know it's not easy. You know how difficult it is for us to wait, how painful it can be, and how confusing it can be when we can't seem to see you in the midst of it. So today, Lord, we ask you to remind us of that amazing hope that we have in Jesus, to give us the strength to stand on that hope to fill our lungs with your breath of life so we can run to Jesus, the source of our hope. And give us opportunities, Lord, to share our own stories of you, of your faithfulness and goodness to us, of the presence of Jesus in our lives, of what it means to wait with hope so that others can know who you are and have their lives changed forever. And if you're here today and you've been seeking this hope, but it feels elusive, if you've been in a season of waiting that maybe feels endless, if you've been desperate for something or someone to hold on to, if you've tried everything and realized today there's only one hope left, and that hope is Jesus, then like the running shepherds, or the traveling wise men, or the tree-climbing Zacchaeus, there is something that you can do. You can get to Jesus, too. And if you have never done this before, you can take out your phone and just text FOLLOW to 201-584-7188. And Pastor Charles will connect with you and help you on this journey to get to Jesus, the source of our hope. And today, if you need prayer for anything, maybe this has touched your heart in a way or your spirit and you want to respond and want prayer, that's awesome. We have a prayer team that will pray for you in the front. We'd love to get together with you. And so may God bless you all as we say goodbye to 2020 and embrace all that God has for us in 2021, knowing that whatever it is, we have hope because we have Jesus. Amen. And Merry Christmas.